so today is the third part of our, this is the final part of our three-part series on faith, hope, and love. And so two weeks ago, we looked at faith, and we realized that God calls us to live lives of faith and not of fear. And we uh, kind of defined faith as taking our eyes off of our insecurities and our failures and, and our scary circumstances and placing our eyes on to Jesus who is able to overcome them. I almost forgot. That would have been so embarrassing. Anyway, <laughs> Matt, last week we looked at hope and we saw that hope is what holds us steady when the trials of this life come, when the storms of life come. And we defined hope uh, not as wishful thinking. It's not something that we just hope might happen. Biblical hope is an assured expectation of the promises of God. So we don't just hope that one day our sins will be forgiven. We don't just hope that we would go to eternal life. But because it's a, it's a promise from God, it is an assured expectation that we will receive it. And so today we're going to be looking at love. And the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians said, Faith, hope, and love remain but the greatest of these is love. And so today we save the best for last. So be very excited if you're here for the first time this week because love is the best. It's very exciting. And so if you'll bow your heads with me, we can pray over uh, the message today. Heavenly Father, we love you and we trust you uh, with our lives. That's why we come to hear your word. We want to know how to become more like you. We want to know how to love like Jesus. And so I pray today uh, that my opinion would fall away and that your word would remain. So change our hearts, mold our hearts, help us to become more like you. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. So, the text for today was John 13, verses 34 to 35. And just a little background context for you. Uh, this is actually, this section of the Gospel of John, for, which is from chapters 13 through 17, is actually like an elongation of the final hours of Jesus' ministry before he went to die for our sins. And so all of these things that are hidden in these chapters are his important final lessons that he gave to his disciples before he died on the cross. And so this kind of adds a more important weight to the things that he says. And so looking at these things, here we see in verse 34 again, I'll reread it for us. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so here we see that Jesus gave us a new commandment, which is exciting because we haven't had a new commandment in quite some time. And here he shows us that Christians are supposed to be marked by their love that they have for other people. They are supposed to be known for their love. And this is kind of the main thesis statement and idea of my sermon today, which if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. This is the main idea today is that love is the most important virtue of the Christian life. Love is the most important virtue of the Christian life. And so above all of the others, even faith and hope, which are very important, this is the most important one. And I realized when I made that statement that this isn't some revolutionary concept. No one's brains exploded of like, what? We're supposed to be loving one another? No one is, is out there gasping, clutching their pearls and saying, oh my stars, like I can't believe we got to be loving one another. Hopefully no one out, in this, the, out there in the congregation is angry and looking at Pastor Josh and being like, what? We're supposed to be loving other people? Why didn't you tell us that? Come on, I'm out of here. No, this is something that's almost a given that goes along with Christianity. A lot of people know that God is love. A lot of people know that Christians are supposed to be loving other people. And this is actually an uh, idea that's relatively accepted in our world today. People are pretty much on board with the fact that, yeah, we should probably be loving one another. 
The Beatles famously wrote the song that said, All You Need Is Love. Uh, a couple years ago, Beyonce and Coldplay, for their halftime show, ended with this big billboard that just said, Love in the Stands. Everyone talks about the need for love when injustice happens. And so everyone pretty much rallies around the fact that we should be loving other people. And so the issue isn't really in convincing ourselves or convincing other people that sh we should be loving, because that's pretty much accepted. The issue comes in, the problem is that we all have different ideas of what this love should be. Some of you may have been in circumstances where a person says to you, if you love me, you would do this. Like, if you love me, you would take out the garbage, which actually is a pretty good uh, request, I would say. But some people say, if you love me, you would accept me. If you love me, you would support all of my decisions. And it comes to the question of, like, where are we getting this definition of love? And a lot of uh, times, especially like when we look at romantic love, when a younger person is trying to figure out whether they're in love with their significant other, they often will ask an older person and they will respond by saying, well, you know, when you know, you know, you know. And it's like, what? Are you serious? Help me out here a little bit. And so with all these ideas of love, when Jesus commands us to love one another, the first question that we have to ask is like, okay, well then, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That's a great song. That's a great song. What is love? Luckily, thankfully, we are not the first people to ask this question. The text I actually want to, we're going to camp out in, John 13 was kind of a springboard text. The text that I want to stay in today is in Luke 10. So take, your t take some time to open up to Luke 10 because that's where we're going to be kind of camping out for the day. And we're going to be starting in verse 25. Many of you guys may be familiar with this uh, section of Scripture. It's actually called the Parable of the Good Samaritan. Relatively famous parable. A lot of people like it. A lot of people quote it. Um, just to give you some context for what's going on here, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry right now, and he's been teaching in the synagogues, he's been teaching in the streets, and been teaching a lot of different things about the kingdom of God, about the love of God. And because of that, a lot of the rulers in the synagogue, because of Jesus gaining all this popularity, were a little bit upset that he was doing those things. And so they would send in uh, different uh, rulers and different uh, people in the synagogue and lawyers to come in and kind of put him to the test. And so that's where we pick up in verse 25. So if you'll read along with me, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up in the midst of him teaching to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus responded to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And so what we have here is the person is asking Jesus, hey, what do I need to do in order to inherit the eternal life? And so kind of trying to trap Jesus with his theology and different things. And Jesus responds, as he often does, with a question, which causes the person to think about his own response. And then right after this, we see here in verse 29, uh, the lawyer asks a second question. He says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And this is a pretty intense question because you see here the lawyer, what he was trying to do was he was trying to get out of, being at, of, of having to love other people. I'm going to move this real quick, get a little fan action. Um, he was trying to get out of the obligation to love people that he didn't want to love. And so Jesus responds to the second question by answering the question, who is my neighbor? Which, spoiler alert, though a lot of you guys probably know this, the answer to who is my neighbor is everyone. But he doesn't just answer the question of who is my neighbor, but also how should I love my neighbor? 
And so what we're going to see here in the Good Samaritan is an illustration of what Christian love for our neighbors should look like. And so I want us to look at this parable, kind of pick it apart, and we're going to see in there four attributes of love that should kind of define the Christian love that we are called to. And so we're going to read this together, starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think, this is Jesus asking the question, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to a man who fell among the robbers? The man responded, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And so here we see the priest and the Levite are the people that kind of pass by on the other side. And they're kind of an illustration of what we should not do, of what Christian love does not look like. But the Samaritan is an illustration of what Christian love should look like. And so the first thing that I want us to see about love, and I would encourage you to write this down if you're taking notes, is that love is more than a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. A lot of, we live in a culture that is very feelings-led, a very feelings-led culture. If something feels good, we do it. If something doesn't feel good, we don't do it. And the problem with this culture, or at least one of the problems with that culture, is that this feelings-led culture can infect the way that we understand love. And a lot of people believe that love is just strictly an emotion. One of the reasons that I know this is because I was one of those people. When I was a freshman in college, I uh, was placed on this really incredible place called Dormate, and they have this cool leadership structure at Liberty where you can kind of go for spiritual guidance. There was a man named Andrew who was on that team, and him and I were talking. We became really good friends eventually, and we were having a conversation one day, and while we were talking, he just casually mentioned kind of a really cool truth bomb where he said that love is a choice. And me, being the romantic feeler person that I am, I was like, absolutely not. You are totally wrong. Love is this beautiful, powerful emotion. It's indescribable. Like, when you know, you know, you know. It's amazing. And I just talked about hearts and rainbows and, and, and flowers and all these things. And I'll never forget his response to me. In fact, I, I wrote it down today just so I could get it verbatim. I will never forget what he said where he says, Sean, A marriage that lasts 50 plus years cannot be based on something as unreliable as feelings. Feelings and emotions are fickle. They toss and turn like the waves of the sea. While there may be times in my own marriage when I hopefully get married, I have, where I have incredible, there will may be times in my marriage where I have incredible feelings of love for my life. But I also know that there will be times where I wake up and and my emotion and And my loving her will have to be a choice. The the emotions have faded. And so this belief that love is emotion causes a lot of issues, especially in romantic relationships. I'm sure a lot of you guys are familiar with the term honeymoon phase. 
So when a man or a woman first meets their significant other, they are head over heels in love with them. They're getting to know them. They're like, wow, this person can do no wrong. This girl's amazing. She's incredible. I love the way she walks. I love the way she talks. I love her hair. I just love everything about her. She can just do no wrong. But for those of us who have been in relationships longer than a couple months or a year, we know that that phase does not last. That face does not last at all. And eventually, this romantic person will realize that the person that they love is a person. And they're going to fail you, they're going to fall short, and they're going to be imperfect. And that's just kind of the way it is. And a lot of people who believe that love is just strictly an emotion will just drop the relationship them, move on to the next one, become infatuated with them until eventually those feelings fade. But people who have, have been married for a while, know that true love is cultivated through action and commitment to that action. The feelings won't always be there, but they will eventually come if we continue in these actions of love. And so this parable shows us that love is so much more than a feeling. Look at Luke 10, verses 33, verse 33 again. Here it says, After the man has been half dead on the side of the road, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And that is amazing because the compassion that the man feels for the guy half dead on the side of the road leads him to get off his horse, to go bandage his wounds, pour oil and wine on it. I'm not sure what wine would do for for wounds, but okay, that's cool. Um, And then continues on, he goes, brings the man to an inn, pays for him, and does all these incredible things, actions of love. But look at verse 33 again. And I want you to imagine that this parable would end right after, the, uh, right after this verse, where he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And if it had ended right there of him being like, wow, I really love that person, but just kind of went on his way and continued to go on the road that he was on, you would look at that and say, that's absolutely not love. And the reason we know that is because at the core of love is action and the commitment to action. We display our love through actions. Now, I'm not here to suggest that love isn't emotional at all. There is such thing as the emotion that goes along with it. But I'm trying to address the thing in our culture that believes that it's only an emotion. And so that the absence of feelings means the absence of love, when truly that's not true. Tim Keller made this really awesome statement in one of the sermons I was listening to by him where he explains that the Greek philosophers used to not trust feelings at all. So they were a very head knowledge based culture. And so they would do their they would make their actions based upon logic and reason and not let emotions have that at all. The culture that we're in today is the complete opposite where we do actions based on our emotions and then we come up with logical reasons afterwards. But biblical love is a combination of the two, of fulfilling the action of love of where eventually the feelings will come back in as well. And so that's one incredible thing that we see in this passage where we say that love is so much more than a feeling. And looking back at this text, we see that the action of love illustrates the next attribute of love that I want us to look at, which is that love is self-sacrificing. Love is self-sacrificing. Look at what this Samaritan did. He was traveling somewhere. There was a reason and a purpose that he was on this road. He was going somewhere. I'm sure he had a list of things that he did to do that day, but the man saw a person in need on the side of the road. He got off of his animal and he took care of that person. And that's one of the reasons why love can be so difficult for us as Americans 
is because our lives are so busy. See, we believe that if we're super productive and we do a lot of things, that gives us worth and value. And so we pack our schedules full of so many things that we need to do, and a lot of them are really, really good things. But the problem is that when we pack our schedules full of so many activities and so many different things that we need to do, it causes us to miss really incredible opportunities to love. If we can be honest, when, when, at least if I can be honest, when I read through this parable, there was this small question in the back of my mind of, didn't this guy have some things to do? Like, wasn't there things that he had on his list of agenda? You look at this, love cost this man something. His entire day was gone because he chose to love this person that was in desperate need. And that teaches us something incredible that love does cost us something. Love is more than a feeling. Love is self-sacrifice. There's an old saying that's probably, I think, a Baptist saying that says, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And one of the reasons why that became a saying is because time is one of the most valuable resources that we have on this earth. Some of you might say, well, no, what about power and influence or what about money? It's like, well, you need time in order to get power. You need time in order to get money. And so what we do with our time is where we invest our life. And so one of the things that I want to share with you today is that one of the greatest ways we can love a person is by giving them our time. Sure, monetary gifts are nice. Sure, uh, like other things, like I guess helping people with connections is a nice thing. But when we give a person our time, it's telling that person that they are so valuable that I'm willing to stop whatever I'm doing and give my time to them. And so this um, is Christian love where we are compelled to be willing to lay aside our schedules and put others' needs before our own. Time is also another important aspect of the next attribute I want us to look at because the next thing that we see in this passage is that love follows through. Love follows through. So after the Samaritan cares for the person that was laying half dead on the side of the road, he brings him to an inn. And I want us to see in verse 35 what he says to the innkeeper. It says, And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This highlights an incredible and important principle to understand about love is that love follows through. This Samaritan was planning on returning. He wasn't just like caring for this guy and then leaving and never calling or like never being with him again. He actually returns and finishes the job. And this is such an amazing principle. This is something that my roommate and I discovered while we were doing ministry together last year. Um, Has anyone in this room read the book Love Does by Bob Goff? Oh, incredible. All right, guys, your homework, read that book. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Bob Goff is unbelievable, and the story is so cool. One of the first principles that he talks about in the first chapter is that love says, I'm with you. Love is present in people's lives. And this was something that we apply to ministry because we do a lot of mentorship down at Liberty, and we realize that one of the best ways to communicate love to another person is not, kind of point, not even just pointing them in the right direction, not even just giving them advice when they need it, but being present in their lives. We kind of looked at it like this. If a person is at point A, and we want them to get to point B, where they're following Jesus, they're, they're like throwing off weight and sin, they're going after God, and they're at point A, it's incredibly important that we are with them even if they go to point Z or even if they go to point Y. 
or even any other letter in the alphabet. <laughs> we want to get them here, and the entire time we're pushing them towards that, we're encouraging them to get to point B, kind of casting the vision on their lives of like, this is what it could be, but we need to be with them when they make mistakes. We need to be with them when the tr- storm hits and where everything goes crazy in their lives because that's what the Lord does for us. And so love is present and it follows through. And as we're going to see in this final attribute, this applies to everyone. The final thing I want us to see in this incredible parable is that love is unconditional. So this man was a Samaritan and the man that was on the side of the road was Jewish. These, if you understand the historical context of that, these are two people groups that did not intermingle. They had different spiritual beliefs. They had different theology. They did not see eye to eye on pretty much anything. They were basically enemies. And so it was very intentional that Jesus told this parable of the Good Samaritan because he's talking to a Jewish group and realizing, holy cow, my love needs to extend even beyond cultural barriers. And this is very difficult. And something that we struggle with, that love, the fact that love is unconditional. Because it's very easy for us to love people that can easily love us back. It's much more difficult to love people that are our enemies. And that's something that Jesus commands us to do. Um, because our love should not be bound by a person's social economic status, by their sexual orientation, by the, even their political views. There are so many labels in this life, even things that people identify as, that cause us to not love people because of the way they label themselves. And here Jesus is telling us in the parable of the Good Samaritan that labels do not matter because love must be unconditional. This Good Samaritan, when he looked upon the man laying half dead on the side of the road, he did not think of him as a a Jewish person. He thought of him as a man that was created in the image of God that was in need of love. And this is how Jesus explains we must view one another. And so these are a few principles that I want us to see. That love is more than a feeling. That love is self-sacrificing. That love follows through. And love is unconditional. And you may be wondering or maybe asking the questions like, okay, Sean, like, that's all well and good. That's really nice. But how do I know that this is love? And the reason, my friends, of why I know that this is love is because this is exactly how Jesus loved us. This is exactly how Jesus loved us. In John 13, which was the verse that we had today, Jesus explains that he's giving a new command. And that may seem a little bit confusing because we're like, wait, weren't people in the Old Testament told to love one another? It's like, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the golden rule. But the wording is very, very important. Because Jesus says, I give you a new command that you love one another as I have loved you. And so what Jesus is saying there is that no longer are you loving people as you want to be loved. You are supposed to love people as Jesus has loved us. And so let's go through kind of the way that Jesus loved us and see if the principles that I just labeled shows up. So the first one, love is more than a feeling. I love that. That's kind of my soapbox of the fact that love transcends feelings. I want, for those of you that know the stories of Jesus, especially the final hours before he was led to the cross to be crucified, you may know the story of him in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying before he's going to be crucified and he's praying to the Lord and asking that that doesn't need to happen. In that moment, here's a quote from Luke 22 where this is from. He prays to the Father and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. 
Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus shows us in the Garden of Gethsemane that love is so much more than emotion. Because in that moment where Jesus is literally sweating drops of blood because of the agony he knows he's about to experience and praying to the Father, asking that this cup would be taken from him, he's not feeling it. In that moment, he's not like, wow, I can't wait to go do this. This is going to be amazing. No, in that moment, his feelings are not with him. But because Jesus was perfect, because Jesus was God, he made the choice to walk to the cross out of obedience. And that shows us that love is an action. Next thing I labeled was love is self-sacrificing. Jesus literally gave his life for us. He literally gave his life for the sins of humanity. And this is amazing. This is kind of a side note. But I I mentioned earlier that one of the greatest ways that we can love a person is by giving them our time because time is so valuable to us. When we really consider Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and when we consider what that meant for us, how we get eternity with God, we realize that God gave us eternity. He gave us the greatest amount of time a person or a God could possibly give. He said, that Nicole, that Kelby, that Lauren, you are going to spend eternity with me. You are going to spend forever with me. This is the greatest love that we have ever experienced. The next thing I labeled was that love follows through. Jesus did not just die for our sins. Three days later, he rose again from the grave and he came to his disciples. And then, like we talked about last week with, or two weeks ago with faith, He told them, behold, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And so Jesus right now is with us through the Holy Spirit. He is present in our lives. And we know that God's presence in our lives changes everything. And so God didn't just die for our sins and then kind of back off. No, he is present with us today. The last thing was love is unconditional. This gift of salvation this incredible gift of forgiveness of sins, eternity with God, and this amazing love relationship with the Father is freely given to everyone. Without money, without price, you don't need to do anything to earn it. It's freely given to us through the work of Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter who you are today. It doesn't matter what you have done. If you turn in faith to Christ, you will be met with unconditional love. This is so difficult for us to map or wrap our minds around, but truly it is the greatest thing in the world. So this is the love that we are loved with and the love that we are called to give to the world. Like I mentioned earlier, I said love is the most important virtue of the Christian life. And the reason that it's the most important is because it points people to Jesus Christ. When you love in a way that's self-sacrificing, when you love in a way that follows through, when you love in a way that's more than feelings, and when you love in a way that's unconditional, people see Jesus through that. And people ask questions like, why on earth would you do this for me? And you get to explain to them, I only love because he first loved me. I only love because Jesus first loved me. And I know that this love is intense. And I recognize that, especially for those of you that have been in long-term romantic relationships, you know that love is not easy. Love is the highest calling of the Christian, but it's also the hardest calling. But 
Jesus not only gave us an example of how to love, but he also gives us the strength to love. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, and if we follow his promptings, if we listen to him and we're sensitive to his spirit, we will be able to love like Jesus loved us. And so you may look at this list that I just laid out and be like, holy cow, there's absolutely no way that I can love it. But one of the final things that I want to leave us with today is that when we listen to the Holy Spirit, when we listen to the promptings and we let our lives be interrupted by opportunities to love, even the smallest act, the smallest act of love can make a radical difference to people's lives. I want to share a story with you. Uh, I think I've mentioned up here in the pulpit that I work for the Visitor Center down at Liberty. Uh, and they told me this story, and it is really unbelievable. Uh, there was a guy that worked there, I think a year or so before I started working there, and his name was Sheldon. I actually know him. I, I work with him in other areas, and he's an incredible guy. And one thing that we do at the Visitor Center is we host something called College for a Weekend where high schoolers are able to come to Liberty, they stay on the dorms, they experience classes, and they experience college for a weekend. And this can actually be a pretty intense testing of faith for a lot of moms out there. We get a lot of calls from what we like to call helicopter moms, where sometimes we pick up the phones and we can hear the rotors turning. It's like, and the one, one time, Sheldon was working the phones during a college for a weekend, and he gets a call from a mom, and he says, I haven't heard from Johnny in one hour. This is ridiculous. Like, could you please check on my son Johnny? He's like, well, I think he's a little overwhelmed by you. But anyway, um, and normally the protocol there is that we call the RD, who's the resident director, who calls the RA, who goes and checks on the person on the dorm. And that's normally the protocol. But Sheldon's talking on the phone with this woman, and he hears the fear in, his mother's, his, in the mother's voice. He hears the, the, the fear that's going on there, and he gets a prompting from the Holy Spirit that he needs to go check on this himself. And so Sheldon goes rogue. And he says, you know what, ma'am? I'm going to check on him. Like, I'll call you back in a little bit. Hangs up the phone, goes, grabs a golf cart. We're not allowed to have golf carts, so this is huge. Goes, grabs a golf cart. He drives down to the dorm, goes, meets the RA, asks where the student's staying. The RA brings him to the room. He knocks on the room, opens it up, and the guy's sitting there in the dorm all alone. Sheldon walks in and says, hey, your mom just called the visitor center. She's a little worried because you haven't texted in like 10 minutes. Um, (laughs) Could you please, like, call your mom and let her know that you're okay. And he said, yeah, sure, that's fine. Sheldon is about to go, but he feels another prompting from the Holy Spirit that this guy needs a friend. And so Sheldon says to the kid, hey, uh, I'm about to get off work. Do you want to get dinner together? And the kid kind of rudely goes, nah, I'm not interested. So Sheldon's like, okay, turns, walks out, but feels a prompting from the Spirit again to not take no for an answer, which that's really difficult. Yet another example of how love is more than a feeling because this guy just blew him off and he's like, hey, this, this kid's a punk. Like he's a little high school kid. What the heck? But Sheldon turns around and he says, you know what? I'm not taking no for an answer. You're coming with me. And so they go, they have dinner together and then Sheldon brings him back to the visitor center. Sheldon is also, was also an RA at the time, transfers him over to stay in his quad with him. They spend the weekend together. It's a really nice weekend. Sheldon brings the kid to church on Sunday and they just have a really awesome college for a weekend, as you should. The kid comes up to Sheldon at the end of the weekend as he's getting ready to go home. And he says to him, he's like, I have to confess something to you. And he's like, what is that? And he said, when you... Uh, were like, when you came and you knocked on my door, I had a knife in my hand and I was planning on killing myself. And when you offered to go to dinner with me and I refused and you turned to leave, I was literally about to do it as you were, as after you had closed the door. But Sheldon, 
listen, see, it turned out the reason, one of the, the, one of the reasons why the mom was so worried was because he struggled with depression and he struggled with suicide. And so Sheldon listened to the Spirit. He didn't listen to his emotions. He listened to the Spirit and he loved this kid. And the kid ended up accepting Christ that weekend. And Sheldon keeps up with him and he doesn't struggle with depression anymore. This, yes, yes, absolutely. This is the power of Christian love. This is the power of listening and doing the hard thing of giving our lives to love. And so my encouragement to you is listen to the Spirit because even the smallest things, such as inviting a person to dinner or just hanging out with them, can mean the world to some people. So to close out our series, I want to share, I want you guys to see something about the three pillars of the, of the Christian faith, which are faith, hope, and love. So as we identified two weeks ago, faith overcomes fear. Last week we saw that hope holds us steady in the midst of trials. And love meets people in their brokenness, as we saw today. All three of these pillars are beacons of light in the midst of a very, very dark world. I don't know the trials and the struggles that you have been through, but I know that everyone struggles with different things. I know that everyone has gone through tragedies, has gone through hard times. And this world is dark, this world is broken, and this world is sinful. The reason that these three attributes, these three virtues are known as the pillars of the Christian faith is because they are beacons of hope. They are beacons of light in this very, very dark world. And so I encourage you that as we go out, keep these virtues in your mind. Share your faith with people. Let them see the hope that you have and do the action of loving others in order to point them to the greatest hope that we have in this entire world in Jesus Christ. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm going to pray and then we can have the band come back up. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We love you and we're so grateful for the example of love that you have given us, the way that you have loved us. It's just unbelievable to experience that. And so I pray that as we go throughout our weeks, we keep these virtues in front of us, that we walk in faith, that we hold on to hope, and that we do the action of love. Father, we love you and we're grateful. Thank you again for bringing our Kenya team back safe and sound. And I pray you be with us as we worship you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.